Please stand for the reading of the word of God. Our scripture today is from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 13. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. This is the word of the Lord. excitement, but also a little bit of trepidation that um, we start this series on membership, church membership, covenant membership. Um, When you first hear of church membership or the idea of membership, there's potentially a lot of feelings that people could feel. Like you could be like, oh, is this where the church gets weird? Is this where, like, we're going to become really legalistic? Is this where we become really bureaucratic? Um, is, this, uh, is this maybe um, where I thought sacred mission was different than maybe a church that might have been a part of where you didn't feel life in it or something like that? And it's like, you know, how is this going to be different than, than previous experiences? And, um, and you know, my... I just hope that we see the Lord's heart in this because some of you might be like, wow, I'm like really looking forward to this. Like I met with a guy, uh, or I think Casey and I had lunch and, and it came up, like Casey was like, hey, when are we gonna do membership? And I was like, oh, you're thinking about this. So like this is a, like I was excited about that. Uh, then, um, and then many maybe are just totally neutral. Like, hey, I didn't really grow up with membership or um, you know, I'm, I'm new in my relationship with Jesus. Like um, I'm all ears. Like what is membership? Why should I care about membership? Why should Sacred Mission Church like devote, a, not just like a 10 minute little talk, but an actual series of several weeks on this topic and what this is gonna look like. And so today is gonna be 100% like why membership? Why do we do this? Why is this something that, that will become a major part of Sacred Mission Church? And then the next several weeks, we'll go into topics like gospel-centered, spirit-empowered, missional priorities, human flourishing, these like concepts, these, these biblical teachings for us to rally around and be like, as members of Sacred Mission Church, this is the way that we're going to aim at and how we're going to walk out being a church together in our community. And so, so my hope today, my prayer today has been that the Lord himself would just give us a vision for his heart in church membership. And so that we can go through this process with full hearts, with clear minds, and, um, and just see what he has for us. So is that okay? All right. So a couple things... <laughs> A couple things on the front end that I just want to be super clear about is Sacred Mission Church is going to be a church where covenant membership is really important, but it's not going to be an exclusive thing. Um, Kurt even was praying into this this morning. Like, it's not going to be a thing of, it's like, well, if you really want to be here, you need to sign on the dotted line. It's not going to be that way. Like, there will be people who will be, be active at Sacred Mission Church who will not be covenant members, and that is totally fine. 
Uh, there will be roles in the church where like covenant membership is a part of that role, like leading a community group, like we would only have covenant members leading community groups or things like that. But uh, it's going to be something that people are invited into, but not something that's like a line that like, like excludes people from each other. Uh, then second, which this is kind of like a a joke in church circles, but it's real, is that you could go up to churches and be like, hey, how many members do you have? And they'd be like, oh, we have a thousand members. And then you're like, well, how many people like come typically on a Sunday morning? And they'd be like, oh, 75. And it's like, oh, like, so you're counting like any human that's ever like somehow been attached and maybe some of them are, are in heaven, you know, and like, we don't want that to be our church membership. And so what we're going to actually do every year is take our membership to zero and just be like, okay, as of today, we have no covenant members. Now let's all once again, like really with clarity, like covenant together. And so every single year, this will be a, a you know, let's not become a church that has this like tired membership. Let's instead be a church that has active members. And so, so once again, like I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but uh, my hope today is for us to just get a vision of actually God's heart for church membership as we go through this process. Our hearts can be stirred. Our minds can be stirred. So um, as was read by Amanda, 1 Corinthians 12 is going to be where we really jump off into this. Uh, there's a lot to see in these verses. Um, there are four areas that we're going to really say like, okay, out of 1 Corinthians 12, here are four areas where church membership is really highlighted. We're going to have the, the words on the screen. Um, we ordered a lot more Bibles. I think we have like four or five left at the Connect table. But if you don't have a Bible, feel free to grab one of those. You can mark, mark it up. It's your Bible. Um, but uh, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 12. And let me pray for us before we turn into God's word. Um, Lord, we've been praying to you throughout this morning it's not because uh, of anything other than, Lord, this is about you. You are the guest of honor whenever we gather. You are the center whenever we come together, Lord, and we want that to always be true every single day um, that you have us be your people here, the side of glory. And Lord, what, what you have for us in your word, we don't want to be people who play at church. Lord, we want to be continuing to move ahead in what it means for you to plant this church, what it means for you to build this church, what it means for you to form this church, what it means that in forming this church that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And as we are on the offensive, pushing back darkness in our community, Lord, however this <clears throat> is a part of that, um, we just say yes and amen to what you'd have for us this morning. Jesus, teach us, Holy Spirit, counsel us, empower us to change this morning for your glory, we pray, amen. So verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 12 starts by saying this, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So just in these two verses, the idea of church membership should make us realize that this is going to shake us to our core. 
First, we see this concept that church membership is countercultural. Church membership is countercultural. What Paul is saying is that when Jesus saved us, he didn't just save us from sin, okay, which is amazing, right? <laughs> Jesus saved us from our sins. Amazing. Like we will spend a lifetime worshiping him and beyond that, worshiping him. But if you're a Christian, you are tied to Jesus, yes, but you're also tied to Jesus' church. His body. When Jesus saves you, he makes you an actual toe, an actual knee, a right elbow. Like he makes you into what he would consider members of his body. That word member, when you, when you hear that word member, I think we first go to Costco or some like membership card. And we think of like some sort of a card and the way that this is saying is, when, when I use the word member, don't think of card, think of parts of a body, and you are a member of that, where you, I mean, if you lop off an arm and it's laying on the ground, that's a, that's a bad thing, <laughs> you know? It works really well when it's attached and everything is flowing in and out and everything is working together, and this is the way he uses it. And... What is crazy and which I'm so grateful that he wrote this in here is when he says, you're baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. These are people who don't like each other. Can I get an amen? Just kidding. (laughs) But like that's the extreme is I'm going to take people who have grown up not liking each other. Jews thought Bad thoughts when they thought of Greek, when they thought about Greeks. Greeks thought bad thoughts when they thought of Jews. Slaves weren't like, oh, I'm so glad for those free people. There was animosity there, both ways. Free people thought slaves deserved what they were getting. And here the Lord is saying, like, I'm taking these people who are like vastly different from each other, but because the similarity that they have is Jesus, I'm forming them together in a way that are like different parts of the same body, different members of the same body. That's how countercultural this is. And there's a temptation here that he goes straight to it. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that we seem to be weaker are indispensable. Think of that. Like, and remember, this, like he's talking about a human body, but then he's saying, like, this is the way I think of the church. This is the way I think of the, the, the assembly of the church, the people who make up a church. And you might be tempted to be like, uh, those people over there, we could do without them. And here he's saying, those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow with greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body. But that the members, the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. 
You know, I think of that if one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, it's like if you're playing baseball and you've got the pitcher and, you know, the pitcher is honored for throwing like a perfect game and the rest of his body is not like, man, the arm is getting all the accolades here. Like, this is just not right. You know, it's like, no, like we are part of the same community, the same body. And when one suffers, we all suffer. When one is honored, we all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And what does this mean? It means that we're no longer autonomous individuals. We're not lone rangers. We can think of our life, we can think of church as just like this individual experience, and it is, but we're no longer characterized as being autonomous individuals. Now we're connected to and we're dependent on each other just as a body is dependent on the other parts of the body. We're no longer free to live however we want. Now we're accountable to God and we're accountable to each other, intentionally accountable. We can't experience true flourishing as Christians on our own. Now we're actually in need of each other for growth and for health. And, um, you know, it's it's beautiful and it's countercultural. Like everything in our culture is like, why would you guys like freely submit yourself to one another? Why would you freely like hear those things from each other? Why would you freely like, like have, you know, when people are viewing, like grinding together and it's like, man, I just see sparks flying. And like, why are you actually stepping towards each other? And it's like, well, because I'm being sharpened because I'm a part of the same body that the Lord has made me to be here. And that's countercultural. Like it doesn't make sense to a lot of people. And at the same time, like it's attractive because we, at deepest, we, we desire this, this to be known and to know. So it is countercultural. But here's second to church membership is hyper local. Hyper local. It's, we could say, like, oh, I'm a part of the body of Christ. The capital C church, some people would say, like the church of all people anywhere, anywhere on planet earth that are following with Jesus, like I am part of that church. And it's like, yes, you are a part of that church. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul isn't writing this to like all of these people, like anyone, anywhere in the Roman empire. He's writing it specifically to Christians in Corinth who are part of that local body of believers. He is specifically addressing a particular local church in Corinth, and that specific church is gifted with pastors, specific leadership, uh, people with gifts of hospitality, with all sorts of gifts, specific systems. This church even has, some of you are going to be excited about this, some of you are going to get glazed over, but this church even had specific systems and structures in place just for how this church was to operate in Corinth at this time. And there were specific Christians that God had composed like he was like composing an orchestra to say like, okay, that one, that one, that one, those will fit in like this, those will fit in like this. And he's composed this body for all these parts to fit together. And and this is what he's referring is like, it is yes, countercultural, but it's it's hyper-local church membership. And here's a few like New Testament evidences of this hyper-local church membership. First, each local church had specific pastors and leaders. Look at Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. 
So when the writer of Hebrews wrote that, the people receiving that letter were not thinking about Paul, Peter, John, Mark, Matthew. They were thinking about at, on the ground the leaders that God had raised up for their hyper-local church were thinking about, you know, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And in, in uh, not this Bible, but in another Bible that I have, um, there are about five local churches that I've been a part of since 1997, since I put my trust in Jesus as my Savior. And every Bible I have in the margin of this verse, I usually write their names. And I really like stop and consider the way of their lives and consider uh, the, the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And once in a while, I'll send them a text and just be like, hey, I was just reading Hebrews 13, 7. I'm so grateful for the season that I was in Cedar Falls. I was a part of Prairie Lakes Church. Or so grateful for the season we were at Sailorville. So grateful for when we were in Frisco, Texas. So grateful for, for other seasons, for Frontline Oklahoma City. And to realize, like, at that time, when I was a part of that local church, um, that, uh, that this was true. Um, Hebrews 13, 17, just a little bit later, says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. That's a weighty thing. <laughs> They're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's very popular for, for just in American consumer culture to think of church as like a buffet at a restaurant and then just be like, you know what, I, I like this part of this church here, I like this part of this church in Ames, I like this part of this church here, and I'm just gonna kind of like, kind of consume from, from that buffet, you know. Uh, but the challenge can be too that, that you're not known anywhere, and that can be a challenge for our church in the future too, is to truly be like, hey, I am on the ground, Jesus has me to be a part of this body here, and I know that the leadership of this church, are they are looking to me and to all of us in a way where we will give an account to Jesus for every soul who's a part of this, and that is weighty and beautiful. And second, this is really interesting, the church in Ephesus, so this is a second example of just kind of this hyper-local church membership, is the church in Ephesus, which some scholars believe the church in Ephesus was the largest church in the New Testament times. In 1 Timothy 5, it talks about the church in Ephesus having church roles. So like they have their version of Microsoft Excel, because they wanted to make sure that no widow was overlooked in the care. And so they knew exactly every single body part in that church. They, they knew who everybody was, and they were ready to actually come around and care for everybody. So we even see things like an actual written membership in 1 Timothy 5. And third, do you know that there are 59 commands in the New Testament for people at a local church level to interact with one another, to love one another, to serve one another. And it, it's usually just called the one another's of the New Testament. And there are 59 commands of like, as we are, and remember, commands are not like, like even scripture says, they're not burdensome. They're actually like, like when a great coach gives you a command, it's so that you can thrive and that so that you can step into all that the vision that they have for you. And these are for us to actually really be able to live out and care for each other. 
We need to be connected locally in a local body to live these things out. So church membership is countercultural. Church membership is hyper-local. And third, church membership is covenantal. Covenantal. Um, I don't know if you've, if maybe in college or something, you had to read the book, um, The Odyssey. And uh, the main character in The Odyssey is Odysseus. And in, in uh, The Odyssey, what Odysseus like, wants to do is he wants to get home to Penelope, his wife. And he's been at battle. There's all this war going on. And he knows, hey, my goal in life is to get home to my wife and my kids. And I know that from my brother-in-law, like that was his focus when he went to war, was like, my goal is to get my friends home and to get home to my wife. But what, what Odysseus knew, and this is like a Greek myth, but what Odysseus knew was that in order for them to get home, they would have to go by an island where the sirens were. And these sirens were these like mythical ladies who would tempt people to basically like come to the island and they would sing these beautiful songs and whenever a man would hear the songs they would be so tempted that they'd never make it home and so Odysseus knew okay I want to make it home and so so and I want to be able to make it past the island where the sirens were so what he actually did was he tied himself to the mast of his ship so he had all the sailors like say, tie me to the mast of the ship. And then all of you, the sailors, had to put stuff in their ears so they couldn't hear. But he was like, tie me to the mast of the ship. And whatever I say to you, don't do it. If I tell you to untie me, don't untie me. I want to make it home. And what I love is like, and he did, like he begged the sailors when the sirens started singing, he begged them, untie me, untie me. But he had already tied himself to the mast of the ship and was, being, and was sailing safely home. And, um, and for me, I think like that is this aspect of church memberships being covenantal, is that you are covenanting now when you're in your right mind in the middle of like, hey, when I look to Jesus and I'm in my right mind, like, I want to covenant, I want to tie myself to each other. I want to tie myself to the ship so that I can make it safely home. Um, church membership is a covenant, and it's a covenant between three parties. Church membership is a covenant between three parties. So first, Elders make a covenant to the members that we will strive and intend to do what the Bible teaches us to do. And so currently in our church that's 10 months old, um, I'm the only elder of the church on the ground. Uh, we have an advisory team of four other pastors. The closest one is Dave Heisterkamp, who's in Polk City, uh, but four other pastors that I interact with. I spend a couple hours every week uh, writing a long thing to them and, um, and just sharing kind of where we're at as a church and stuff. But what our heart is, is that over the next year or so that we'd start a one-year process raising up elders in our church and leaders in our church. And, and one of the first covenants is that the elders of the church will make a covenant that, uh, that we will seek to live out and lead in the way that the Bible calls us to. But then second, members make a covenant to the elders that they will submit to and follow their leadership. Like, not in sinful ways, but we'll follow leadership, hopefully, as we follow Jesus. And then third, members in the church make a covenant with other members of the church to walk out what the Bible calls us to walk out together. You and I were not saved merely into the spiritual, global church. 
We were saved into a local physical church where we are actually living out our Christianity, following Jesus in a tangible community. If church membership isn't a local reality, then we just can't be known. We won't actually submit to leadership. We can't actually learn to walk out the one another commands of scripture. We can't be held accountable for our sins. It's so much easier to love, I think, the ideal community as opposed to like just the real community of us being a glorious mess, <laughs> an island of misfit toys. I mean, that's what uh, I bump into people in the community and they'll be like, well, I don't know if I'm like good enough to go to church. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, man, think island of misfit toys. Like that's who we are. Like we are people that actually need Jesus. We're not people who like have arrived and don't need him. We actually need him. And you would fit in really well here because, uh, because we're all standing on level ground there. And that's why church membership is countercultural. It's hyper-local. It's covenantal. And then lastly, church membership is formational. Formational. The world shapes us. The world forms us so much to like what we love, what we should desire, what we crave, what we think we want, what we think we need. And God designed being a member in a local body, God designed that to form us into the image of Jesus. And my hope is that we'd learn to see the church, church membership as one of the most important disciplines of your life. One of the most important things that you, can, that you know is forming you into the image of Jesus. If our kids are like, hey, why, why do we do this? Why do we do this church thing? And it's like, well, because we're a body of Christ with Jesus at our head, and he's using each of us in our lives and to be a light in our community in a way that as we keep stepping into this, it's gonna make us look more and more like Jesus, which you can tell your kids, you want that. <laughs> like, you want us to look more and more like Jesus. Uh, Mark Sayers says this about the importance of formation. A great author, he's got several really good books. Mark Sayers says, he's, he lives in Australia. He said, if an age... In an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limitations, perhaps we need to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. We get the idea that making the choice to wake up early, to read our Bibles, to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity or to fast even may not always be pleasurable but in the discipline of these things, we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be a pleasurable, enriching, and exciting thing that we get to watch or participate in. Maybe the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, of becoming more like Jesus. I think God uses our once a week gathering, God uses the church scattered throughout the week in deep ways to form us. I, I was sharing this with somebody this week, but um, you know, try and think of every meal you had April, May, and June. You'd be like, uh, I can maybe think of a couple, right? Like, but try and like think of every meal you had in April, May, and June. Like, you really can't probably think of very many. 
But if you didn't eat in April, May, and June, you wouldn't be here right now, right? So you had to have those things, even though you can't even really remember the specifics of them, but you had to have them to be alive. And man, I think like the formation that comes through being a part of the body of Christ, like even if it's like, can you remember the last, can you remember our gatherings in April, May, and June? And you'd be like, maybe I remember Easter and a couple of the things that we did. But it's like if you hadn't been a part of those, like you would be spiritually malnourished. And you wouldn't be in the place of formation that you are right now. Um, Matthew 18, 15 through 17 even shows us this formation. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And you might be like, man, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> like, is, like, is this what I'm getting into? Is like someone's going to sin against me and I need to actually go and talk to them? If he listens to you, though, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. On the next screen. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And I love this. Like, it assumes that they are known in the church. It assumes that both of these parties are, like, actively engaged in a local church. And the thing that is, is weird here is, and this was written a long time ago, right? Uh, a tax collector, Matthew, wrote this, who was hated by everybody in his community. And to share how people can actually be restored how like you don't need to hold a grudge for decades, but what if the church is known for people who it's like, oh yeah, man, that person offended that person like crazy. And you're like, yeah, they probably like go to different churches now, right? It's like, no, actually like they realize how much Jesus had forgiven them and like the one like asked for forgiveness and the other gave forgiveness and they like consider themselves brothers or consider themselves close sisters. And it's like, really, that's happening there? Like, people are really, like, relationships are being restored. And, uh, you know, we don't have to go far outside of our community to see, you know, and I think farm life does this when, when it gets to, like, dividing land and families and stuff like that. Man, I mean, our community is full of situations where people don't talk to each other and haven't for decades. And we can't be like, well, I'm better than you, because we realize, like, man, this is hard, and it's hard for everybody, but as followers of Jesus, like to realize like, hey, no, we're, we're members of the same body, and what Jesus has done for us, how can I hold that against this person? And it might take an entire church, it might take several people to help us see and navigate how to find peace in that relationship, but what we're committing to is we're committing to that, that that's important and that we want to be in on that. We want to be there for that because Jesus is using us being a part of this body to grow and disciple every one of us, to be more Christ-like. And that doesn't always mean like we move towards the white picket fence. That means like we move towards the stuff that we don't want to deal with, but we realize like Jesus is like, hey, if we deal with that, and if I grow you through that, the peace that you'll find on the other side is worth it and is worth us stepping into all of that stuff. So where do we go from here? Um, man, I'd say first of all, like covenant membership in a body of Christ makes no sense if you have not given your life to Jesus as your savior, if you aren't truly a, a, a member of him, a part of him, and that isn't like some bureaucratic forms that you have to fill out or facts or anything like that, 
He has done all of the work, even leaving the throne in heaven and coming here, living the life you couldn't live, paying for your sins. And if you're like, well, I've never sinned. Well, you have, I have. Like our parents didn't have to teach us how to sin. That came easy for us. And if you have kids, you definitely understand that or around kids. Um, But also, um, if you reject Jesus for a lifetime, that will become your greatest sin. It was rejecting the one that actually came to rescue you, to bring you into his family, and to invite you into a thriving life with him in community. And so, man, I think where we go from here, one is like, I would love this membership series to have some people be brought into the family of God for people to recognize like, hey, um, I want to be in on that. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what Jesus is doing here, and I want him to use me to be a part of that. Uh, not because we are worth it, but because he is worth it. And then second, I think for each of us, is man, would we, um, would we just renew and reopen our hearts to a commitment to Jesus to just do whatever he wants us to do in moving into this countercultural, hyper-local, covenantal, and formative relationship with God and his church. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is just keep adding some flesh to this. So we're going to talk about a, a thing next week um, that about being gospel-centered, about how churches and how we as a body can actually move away from that very easily if we aren't intentionally moving towards that. So, so we'll keep putting flesh on what this looks like but, and what it doesn't look like, too. But my prayer for us is that that Jesus would just lay a foundation where we're bonded together in ways that we could never imagine being bonded together. And we were praying this morning. I was just feeling like, Lord, would you even show us this type of community? Sometimes we just get comfortable with kind of relationships at an arm's distance. And there's a lot of stuff that goes on that nobody knows about or maybe only our spouse knows about. But it's like, what would happen for the Lord to actually move us closer to each other where we can truly mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice, carry out the one another's of scripture together. And we can't just try harder. The only way we can do this is for Jesus to be the one that we're moving towards. Like as we move towards him, he's allowing us to move towards each other. So, so let's draw near to him in this series. I think to just look at the Lord and be like, okay, as we enter our second year of the church, of being a body of Christ, like, Lord, would you move us closer to each other? Would you allow us to see the church more fully than we've ever seen the beauty of your bride? Tanner preached that last week beautifully. One of the great things in Jesus' resume that he says about himself is that he's the head of the church the living head of the church. So let's draw near to him. And uh, because only, we'll see this next week, only what is done in him is actually going to last. Only what's done in him is going to be fruitful. We can do a lot. We can put lights in all sorts. We can put a fog machine in here and kind of like crank up the level, put a big drum in here and have Bryce just go for it. We can be more rocking than ever. But it's like, if it's not done in Jesus, it's just going to be a surface flash. But if truly we're moving towards him and he's making us the family and the people and the body for this community, um, if we're moving towards him, it'll actually be fruitful and we'll actually be able to do everything that he's calling us to do. Um, So man, a beautiful way for us to move towards him is in communion. 
Uh, this was his idea for us to commune with him. So if you have yet to put your faith in Christ, I just invite you to put your faith in Christ before you come here. Um, if you are a Christian, let's pause for a moment. And uh, as we say every week, like scripture is very clear with warnings that those who are followers of Jesus should never approach this table quickly without being reflective of where we're at, being reflective of where we're at with Jesus, potentially repenting of sin, potentially confessing sin to someone uh, next to us, uh, but then coming and communing with him. Uh, so, so the way that we do this is, is we'll just come up and, um, and we've been really careful with the, <clears throat> with the cups to, uh, to make sure that, uh, that you're the only one that's touching this without gloves on and all that stuff. And so, um, so come forward and then there's juice in the top cup and then underneath that is a cracker. And so you just grab one cup and it's got both and then you can take it apart. So, so let's come, let's respond, let's take communion together. We'll come, take it, and then let's stay standing and we'll take it together as family. So let's come. <clears throat> 